This morning's scripture reading is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. We'd like to read responsibly this morning as our custom and tradition is. We'd like to read verses, I will read the odd numbered verses, verses 1, 3, and 5. Would you please read with me together in unison verses 2, 4, and 6. That's Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and reading responsibly. And as always, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and reading responsibly. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. And now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you might speak to, first of all, the Christian heart this morning. Lord, help us to understand thy wonderful word. Thank you for Philippians chapter 1, especially verse 6 this morning. Lord, as always, we pray for our children. We pray for those that might be here without Christ. Spirit of God, do the work of grace in their heart that only you can do. We'll praise you for it. I pray that you bless the rest of our service now and our preaching of thy word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, please, once again to Philippians chapter 1. One verse of scripture this morning. I will confess to you, I got this message, I was inspired by this message to preach this. The seed thoughts came two weeks ago, two Sunday mornings ago, when I was in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and I'll say more about that in a minute. But Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, it's our text verse. I suppose if there was a list of 100 verses that you should memorize in the Bible, I would certainly think that this verse would make the top 100 list for sure. I memorized it many, many years ago as a young person, as a teenager, I believe, I want you to read it with me once again, because the verse, if you're saved this morning, this verse has you in mind. Let's read it together. Ready? Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. One more time. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm looking across the audience this, this morning, and I think I know everybody at least. Certainly, I know your first names. Good to see Ben and Karen. Good to see you back there. I see you back there. Uh, by the way, just want to say hello and make sure I got you there. Our Florida visitors here, former members of the church here, of course. Glad to have you up from Florida this this uh, this this week here. And uh, this is a wonderful verse of scripture. But this verse of scripture, like the entire book, is too meant to, the Christ, to be to the Christian. This is a message to Christians this morning. I draw your attention to verse number one. The book is written to Christians. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And so this is also known as a prison epistle. 
We believe that Paul is released from prison, of course, and then is, obviously he goes back into prison. He dies the second time in prison, but this is, we believe, his first prison arrest. And we find that in chapter 1, if we were to dissect the chapter, we won't have time to do that. But you'll find the name Christ 18 times. You'll find the, the word gospel six times. Obviously, this book is about Christ. It's about the gospel. You'll see another key word, the word fellowship. It's found in verse number 5. It's found throughout the book. It's a key word. We see the fellowship of the gospel in chapter 1, verse 5. We see the fellowship of the spirit and in the spirit in chapter 2, verse 1. And then we see the fellowship of sufferings in chapter 3 and verse number 10. It's a key word, the word fellowship. Key word, word Christ. Key word, word gospel. But the key, key word of the book is the word joy. That we may be filled with joy. This word joy or joyous or rejoicing or glad, gladness or thanksgiving. It's all the same word. It's the word kara. And some girls are named, Christian families named their girls kara. It means joy. And we see this joy in permeated throughout the book in Genesis, or rather Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. We see, even though the word's not there, we see the joy that's in Christ. For to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. We see the derivative of joy in chapter 4, verse 4. You need not turn there, but rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. It's the theme of this book, this, this idea of rejoicing. And Paul's in prison when he writes it. And the fruit of the spirit of joy is not something that we seek after. It's a byproduct of a right relationship with God. It's a byproduct of a right walk with God. Paul understood that true joy doesn't depend on happenings or circumstances. He learned in Philippians 4 verse 11, he says, I've learned that what sort of state I'm in, there were to be content. So no matter whatever state or condition that you're in this morning, it doesn't have to affect your joy level. You may have some bad circumstances right now. You may have some bad health right now, but your joy is not determinant upon your present situation. Your joy is in Christ. Paul said that he experienced a true inner peace or joy because he walked with the Lord. He said that I may know him, John, Philippians 3 and verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. He said he wanted to know Christ more than anything. In fact, he gave his list of accolades of accomplishments and achievements, and he said he counted them all things but dung. Now, if you don't know what dung is, ask your neighbor after the church service is over, and they'll, they'll explain to you. But the, the, he counted all things but dung that he may win Christ, that he may know Christ. And so happiness, joy, peace, contentment comes through walking with Jesus Christ. Now, I said this message was birthed, Two Sundays ago, I was in Fredericksburg, Virginia at the Faith Baptist Church. I went there to hear Pastor Kurt Skelly. I told the story last Sunday. I'll tell it again, but I'll go in more detail this morning. And Pastor Skelly was out of town. He was in Australia on a missions trip. And uh, Don Forrester preached instead. Don Forrester is the pastor of the church. He got up behind the pulpit, and he first of all got led to the pulpit because Don Forrester is profoundly blind. He pastored the church there at Faith Baptist Church. If you get off I-95, by the way, in Fredericksburg, it's the main drag. It's like the Manchester, Connecticut of, of Virginia, of course. It's, uh, all the stores are there. All the, all the shops are there. The highest point of the road is Faith Baptist Church. It's right across from Shiloh Baptist Church, Historic Baptist Church. But Faith Baptist is a much larger church. I would encourage you to stop by and at least see it. Several million, probably 10, 15, 20 million dollars worth of buildings, all brick buildings, gorgeous facilities. 
Don Forrester preached that day. He had just celebrated his 70th birthday on Friday, and uh, he preached again on Sunday, and uh, completely blind. It was fascinating to watch him with the Braille pad. He was, the whole time he was preaching from the pulpit, he was, his fans were going back and forth. We got great seats, a big auditorium, several hundred people in the auditorium, of course, and we got we had four rows right where Andrew's sitting, right uh, uh, dead center. We were right dead center from the preacher. And I was sitting there very attentively watching the preacher, and he's, his eyes were glow with the, 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 the vibrancy of God, but he couldn't see a thing. <laughs> and uh, I was looking at him. I was trying to be respectful, and then it dawned on me. I said, wait a minute. He can't see me anyhow. And I said, I can, I can close my eyes if I want to, and he won't know any difference. And so I just meditated much, much of the message. I just closed my eyes knowing that that preacher couldn't see me. And I saw the peace of God in his heart and life. I saw, I think he was the most contented person in the whole room. Went blind when he was 10 years of age. 60 years he's been blind. He didn't preach on this verse he just as an afterthought, he preached on Philippians, or rather, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Great message. And I thought about stealing his outline, but I didn't. At the end of his message, he just mentioned, he just referenced Philippians 1, 6. And my mind got churning. I says, wow. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And I got to thinking about that verse and I was pondering on it and I came up with three confident causes for, even though the verse doesn't use the word joy, it speaks about unspeakable joy. Let me reference one more verse and we'll get into the message this morning. In 1 Peter 1, chapter 1 and verse number 8, Peter said, In whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy unspeakable. The, the joy of a Christian walking in Christ is so deep, so overwhelming, it cannot be expressed and it cannot be understood by human man, by a natural man or unsaved man. If you're here and you're not saved today, I don't expect you to be able to grasp or to understand just on a super, superficial knowledge level what I'm trying to say this morning. You can't know the joy in my heart this morning from knowing Christ as Savior. And we want to deal with this subject of, of this confidence, uh, three confident causes for unspeakable joy this morning. First of all, notice what the, the, as we dissect the verse, verse 6 of chapter 1 of Philippians once again, being confident a no-so, an absolute, being confident of this very thing, what thing? That he which hath begun a good work in you. Notice the past tense, which hath begun a work, good work in you. I want you to consider for a moment here just three things as we consider the past, present, and future of Philippians 1, 6 this morning. Consider past gratefulness, past thankfulness, if you will. He hath begun. I want you to consider the grace of God that was begun in your life not general grace, everybody has general grace, but specific grace. I'm talking about that day when you saw your need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. No one is saved but by grace alone. For by grace are you saved through what? 
faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. His past work of grace in our life. We know grace, we hear it all the time, it's unmerited favor. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. The songwriter says, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace that exceeds, I could add, all of our sin and even all of our guilt. Grace that's uh, poured upon us. Thank God for his grace and salvation. God didn't save you because he looked out and said, I think you'll make a good, good Christian in heaven. God didn't save you because he looked out and said, you're a good person. No, he saves wretches. He saves foul wretches. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He said, this is a faithful saying, unworthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. Now let me stop there for a moment. Paul was a good guy. I mean, by the world's eyes. He was a Pharisee. He was a doctor of the law. He was religious. He gave his whole life to serve the Jehovah God, but he was lost. It was God's grace that came upon him. Paul wasn't a bad guy. Paul was a good guy in so many ways. He was so zealous for the things of God that he wouldn't even, even of course, he laid down their the, the robes at the young man's feet called Saul, Saul Tarsus, when the, the stoning of Stephen. He stoned Stephen thinking he was doing God a service. He loved God with all of his heart, but he loved him in his own flesh. Paul received the grace of God. Back to verse, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he ended the verse by saying these words, of whom I am chief. I preached a message uh, many years ago, now 20 years ago. I rate my messages from one to 10, by the way. I, I rank all my messages. This is gonna get about a three today, maybe a two if I'm lucky, so <laughs> I'm teasing. But I preached that message, uh, that text, First Timothy 1.15, and I entitled my message, The Only Mistake in the Bible. And I, the whole premise of the message was Paul was wrong when he said I'm the chief of sinners because I'm the chief of sinners. I gave myself a two on a message uh, on a scale of one to 10. It was a, it was a, I dropped a bomb. It was a terrible message. And, uh, and I dropped a bomb. It was a terrible title uh, that I had, but I, I preached it anyhow. But it still was true. I feel in my heart that amazing grace that to save a sinner like me, the songwriter, the, the penis played it here. Sherry, I think, played it on a, to rescue a sinner like me in the offertory, I think it was. And so we see this, this work of grace, this work of past grace in regards to our salvation. But this not only is work of past grace, verse number two, it says, grace be unto you. All of Paul's epistles start off in the first verses with this word grace, this word charis, this gift of God that's beyond uh, comprehension that's given to every Christian that receives Christ as Savior. There's the work of grace. Thank God for his past work of grace, but then thank God for his past work of faith. In the word of faith and grace, of course, those words go hand in hand. For by grace are you saved through faith. Turn over to chapter 3 and look at verse 9 for just a moment. Look what it says in verse number 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. A lot of people have faith, but they have faith in the wrong thing. 
Faith is not power. It depends on what, the, what faith you have faith in. And there's saving faith. That's faith in Paul had faith as a Pharisee. He had faith, but he had faith in his religion. But when he came to know Christ as Savior, he exchanged his faith as a Pharisee for the faith of Christ. It's a saving faith. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all over the ground is sinking sand. It's a sure faith. Hey, let me just preach for a moment here for a second. I've been teaching. Let me preach for a moment. Let you know that there's a whole bunch of churches out there that don't have a sure faith. They claim to be Christians. They say you can fall from grace. They say you can lose your salvation. They say you got to keep it. That's heresy. That's wickedness because salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is by grace alone through faith. It's a work of God. It's a saving faith. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, uh, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. This past work of faith in our life, in Paul's life, was a, a saving faith. It was a sure faith. He knew his salvation was sure and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, it was a shared faith. And he shared this faith with his fellow, fellow Christian or fellow saints. Verse number five says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, a shared faith. Thank God for the gift of faith. Faith is faith in the finished work of Christ. There are a lot of people again to have faith, but they have a wrong faith, a, a damning faith, a faith that's, that's uh, in, in not in a salvation that can save. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I put my faith in Jesus alone to save me from my sins. And if you're a Christian, you've done that. God revealed that to you. It seems so simple to the child of God. But it's, so, it's a mystery to people that are without faith in Christ. They say, well, I have faith. I believe in God. Well, the devils believe also and tremble. You've got to have, thank, God, thank God for this confident work that's in you in the past that, that showed you supernatural grace. It showed you this past work of faith in your life that it wasn't, wasn't your faith in yourself, faith in your religion, but faith in Christ. And then, thirdly, Paul spoke about not only faith in chapter 1, and grace in chapter 1, in these first few verses. But then he speaks thoroughly about the, God's past work of peace in his life. Peace. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, in verse number 7, turn a page in your Bible and look at verse number 7. The Bible says, And the peace of God, here it is, which passeth all understanding... You can't explain to an unsaved person how good it is to be saved. You can't explain to an unsaved person the, the peace and, uh, that passes understanding, that keeps your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's the past work of peace. Now, these are three gifts, God-given gifts, the gift of grace, the gift of faith, the gift of peace. And the world, again, only has a superficial knowledge of these Without the working of the Spirit of God in their heart, they can do nothing. And so God is for us. And if God be for us, Romans 8 says, who can be against us? God is for us in our past salvation. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved. I don't want to get technical, but I, my, my simple two years of Greek in Bible college, I found out that that was in the, aorist, the perfect aorist tense. It was a, a punctiliar action. It was an action that took place the moment you received Christ as Savior. It was known about before the foundation of the world. God knew that you were going to receive Christ as his Savior. He knows all things. 
And so it was a punctiliar point of time. But an aorist tense is, uh, has, a, has a beginning and it, it's a progressive. It goes on forever. For by grace are you being saved, in other words. You are saved. You have been saved. You will be saved. You're being saved by this grace, this, this faith, and this peace of God that passes, and peace with God that passes all understanding. And so we can be confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, Hey, what I'm trying to tell you in point number one this morning is if you're saved, you're saved whether you feel like you're saved or you're not saved. <laughs> if you're saved. Now don't have a false peace in a false belief system that thinks, many people, millions of people think they're saved and they're not saved. If you've been saved, you, you're saved. You may, you may say, preacher, I don't feel like I'm saved today. That's okay, you're still saved. <laughs> Because it's, the work is in you. It's, it's the work of God, not, not your work. Aren't you glad that Christianity does not, not go on our emotions? Because our emotions are like a roller coaster, up and down, in and out, all around. Sometimes upside down. But we're still saved, saved by grace. And so there's, there's past gratefulness, there's past thankfulness. Then I want you to notice back in Philippians 1, verse 6 again, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Notice the present faithfulness. His present faithfulness. The Bible says he'll perform it, he'll complete it, he'll finish it. God's doing great work in you and he'll finish it. He may bring you through a lot of things in order before he finishes it. He, 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 God's, we can have joy in the fact of his present faithfulness and our present struggles. In our present struggles, verse number seven, Paul mentions about his bonds of imprisonment. He's in prison. It's a prison epistle, I said, on purpose. Paul thinks he might lose his head. He does lose his head in prison the second time around. That's why he said, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain. But he and Paul had struggles. We think that Paul, we don't know this for a fact, but we know that he was evidently going blind or almost blind. He said in one epistle, he said, you see how large a letter I write unto you, how large letters that he was writing. And he sought the Lord three times that God would remove or heal his body, heal him from his blindness, we think. And God didn't heal him. God said, my grace is sufficient for me. Jesus said, in this world ye shall have what? Tribulation. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer tribulation. Sufferings, struggles, imprisonments, and sundry storms of life are germane to all of us. I look over, I see Janice this morning here, and uh, I, next to her usually sits June. And they, they, they talk, I know Janice, I understand you talk a lot to June, I appreciate that. June Battistoni's not here this morning, I'm going to pick on her. I don't know of anybody in our church, in fact, I'm quite confident, to use that word confident, in a sad way, that June Battistoni has had more operations than anybody in this room. In fact, I got to tell you, you people that have a number of operations, I think we take the f next four highest operated people on, in the room, put them all together, and I still think that June's operations have succeeded the next four people together. She's been operated on scores and scores of times. She's been in the hospital probably a couple, three years of her life. She'd probably be mad at me right now if she was in the voice, of, and I, uh, but I was at her house a couple, three weeks ago on, and uh, visiting her, and uh, she, she's getting tired. She's got multiple problems with her, of course, physical maladies and so forth. She's, got, she's had, 
and I might be stepping over my bounds here, I hope not, but she's had a tough life. And I'm talking to some people, you say, Preacher, I've had a tough life. I, I think uh, my heart goes out. My mom asked me the other day, we, I didn't talk to her this morning here. She, I don't know if she called or not. I didn't get her called. But last week we were talking about Pastor Bennett. Most of you remember Pastor Bennett. He's got full-blown Alzheimer's now, of course, and Betty, his wife, does as well. He buried his first wife. I, I did a funeral some 20-something years ago. Nancy Bennett went home to heaven from leukemia at 56, I think she, think she was. Pastors had a kind of a hard life. He pastored my home church, his, the church New Line Baptist, for 27 years. He pastored in Hartville, Ohio, for several years. He's had, a, he's had a hard life in so many ways, and now he's got Alzheimer's. And I think of other people that have conditions, and it seems like they're failing in health. Mark Wiedemeyer was here this morning. Mark's brother, uh, Rick Wiedemeyer, was a fiery Baptist preacher. He had a stroke in his 50s. He died at 62 just about three years ago. I want to have his pastor that's, uh, before maybe the year is out, maybe on a Sunday night we'll have his pastor that succeeded him in our pulpit. I'd like to provide him up. I met him uh, a few weeks back here for the first time. And God allows people to go through sufferings and struggles. And God's present. God doesn't promise us not to have storms in our life. God promises to take us through, carry us through the storm. And so we see this, his faithfulness, he'll perform it, he'll finish his work through us even in our present struggles. But then he'll perform his present work and be faithful to us with the help of our present fellow saints. Thank God for saints that serve the Lord and that are an encouragement to one another. Paul said in verse number three, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says he speaks about this fellowship of the saints. Let's be honest here. Some saints, they can encourage you. I try to get you all in the eye here because I don't want to leave anybody out, out here. Some saints encourage you. Some saints, if we're honest, they can discourage you. I'm trying to get you all in the eyes at the same time here. <laughs> you, you encourage me. You're here this morning. That, that's encouragement alone. You're this poor preacher. And you came to, that's an encouragement. But let's be honest with you. Let's be honest with ourselves. Christians that serve the Lord and serve others, they're an encouragement. Christians that don't serve, Christians that are hit and miss, and Christians that are just... Uh, Backslidden, they're a discouragement. I hate to be truthful with you like that, so so pointed, but it's true. Paul said when he thought about these saints at Philippi, he said, "You're an encouragement to me." They were walking in Christ, and they had a natural joy because they walked with Christ. They had faith, they had grace, they had the peace of God. But then I want you to notice thirdly, present faithfulness. He'll perform it, and he'll help us through. We can go through joys, trials, kind of all joy when you follow diverse temptations, James says. We can go through our present struggles because God is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We have our fellow saints. Thank God for saints that are serving God. They're an encouragement. But then verses 9 through 11, look what it says in chapter 1. And Paul said, and he's making a request now. He's beseeching them. And this I pray or ask you, I'm beseeching you, that your love may abound yet more and more 
in knowledge and in all judgment. You're an encouragement to me. You're a present encouragement to me. I thank God every day for you. I pray for you every day, but I, now I pray, I'm asking that you increase in your love towards God and towards others, that ye may approve, verse 10, things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ until the glory and praise of, until the glory and praise of God. Notice his present faithfulness in our current service. God's called us to be faithful to him and to serve him currently, right now in our situation that we're in, and that our love may abound more and more. And so God is, in review, is for us in our past salvation. We should be past gratefulness. God is working in us in our present sanctification, our ongoing sanctification. God is working in us to present us faultless before his succeeding glory. He's presently working. The hard times that you have in your life right now, God's, God's allowing you to go through this to make, not make you bitter, but to make you better. Sometimes, sadly, it does make us bitter, doesn't it? Sometimes we get discouraged and we get defeated. It's one thing to get discouraged and another thing to be defeated. And they're very close to each other, aren't they? And uh, we've all been there. And uh, Pastor Parmar mentioned this morning in Sunday school class about uh, every Christian gets discouraged. Job got discouraged. It's a part of, the, of, of this earthly living that we have. But God is working in us in our present sanctification. Even though we may be discouraged, he's still on the throne. He hasn't, he's the author and finisher of our faith. That leads me to the third truth, the past truth of gratefulness, this joy that ought to cause gratefulness and thankfulness, this salvation that's, that's uh, the gift of God working in us, God is for us, rather. Then we see this present faithfulness. He will perform it through our struggles with the help of other saints and in our current service. God is working in us in our present sanctification. But then we get to the last part of the verse. Being confident of this very thing, which, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until future, until the day of Christ future hopefulness. I do not know in a negative context. Uh, I'm a little surprised. Uh, I'd like to make a prediction, but I'm probably going to be wrong. I would like to think that uh, Iran's going to get bombed this week. You say, preacher, that's terrible to say. They, they need to be bombed. Like every, every ship in their, their, their naval fleet needs to be taken out of the water. You say, preacher, you're a whoremonger. You're a warmonger. You call me what you want. Something needs to happen in Iran. It could happen this week. Something needs to happen in North Korea, not to North Korea, the people, but to their leader. I want to see him taken out. I want to see, that's what I want to see happen. And we could have an event this week. It was a Tuesday. We all remember, all those old folks, remember that Tuesday 9-11 day in September. We all remember that day. It was a beautiful day. We were here working at the house of God. I was on the back hoist. I remember it. That day came, and it was like a day like no other in American history. A day could come again, and it could come before the week is out, next five days. I don't know. But here's the estimated, the probability is that it won't happen this week. That day won't come, that day of infamy, that day of tragedy or terrorism might not, probably won't come this week. But there is a day coming. 
And the Bible says that we can be guaranteed, we can be confident in this thing. There's a day coming that should bring joy at his coming. He's coming one day, the day of Christ, the Bible says. Verse number 10 says that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Look at chapter 2, look at verse number 16. The Bible says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Hey, I don't know if a day of terrorism will come again to America, but I know that the day of Christ is coming. I know that for the child of God, one day we shall see him, for we shall be with him and we shall see him as he is. There's a coming, a catching away, a rapture. A catching away, I'm looking for not the undertaker, but the upper taker. A lot of churches aren't preaching that anymore. They're preaching, well, we don't want to get into eschatology. We don't want to get into this rapture thing. Well, you don't, you don't want to get into it. You don't have to, but the fact of the matter is he's coming again. Coming again, coming again. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, but will be soon. Jesus is coming again. There's a joy that's coming. Then did you ever stop and think about it? There's joy for, his, for the crownings. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Let me just quote you a verse. Just listen. Peter said, in, or rather, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, for what is our hope or joy, there's that word joy, or a crown of rejoicing, He's asked the question, what's our joy? What's our hope? What's our crown of rejoicing? Well, then he answers it. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Now tie this in. I'll try to do this as simplistically as I can. But three verses at least in Revelation speak about, the Bible says that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He comes, he has many crowns on his head. The Bible says that the elders, 24 elders who cast their crowns at his feet. Malachi chapter three and chapter four talks about that that we'll be that we make up the jewels in his crown. I think there'll be uh, I think of the Olympics. I think as they, they in the old Olympics they used to place the wreath upon the, the, the Olympian's head, the winner's head. Now we give a gold, silver, and bronze medal out. I think there's a crowning day. We sing the song, is it the crowning day? I think Christians, we read about five crowns that, crowns that Christians can win. A crown for the soul winner, a crown of rejoicing, a crown of life, a crown of, of, uh, of uh, for suffer, enduring suffering, tribulation. There's crowns that we can win. And one day we're going to see the Christians stand up before one right after another. Christians that we had life. Uh, we poured our life into, and we're going to see them receive their crown, their reward, and we're going to take those crowns and we're going to cast them at Jesus' feet. I don't know how it's going to all work out, but it's going to be a beautiful ceremony. It's going to be a tremendous ceremony. I was at my son-in-law's, Jonathan's, pinning ceremony, as they call it, as he became an officer in the United States Navy. It was pretty prestigious, I've got to tell you right now. And the national anthem was sung, the flags, the colors were flowing, the the, the, all, the, all the military guys were in their military best dress uniform and so forth. And there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. And, and there was, uh, uh, there was uh, the pinning of the, the, the uh, shoulder bars on, on his uniform. And then, of course, the cap was given, of course. And it was, it was pretty spectacular. You think about how spectacular the coming crowning is going to be in heaven. Joy is coming, joy is crowning. But thirdly, don't turn me off. I got a couple of illustrations, we're done. But there's joy of cessation, cessation and celebration. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. 
The Bible says in Psalm 23 and verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Revelation 14, 13 says that they may rest from all their labors and their works to follow them. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's a cessation from, and celebration from all our labors. Look forward to that day. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, I'm confident with past gratefulness and thanksgiving, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. There's, I'm thankful for his present faithfulness in my life and in our life he'll preserve us he'll see us through to the end until the day of Jesus Christ I'm thankful for his future hopefulness back to brother Forrester and I'm done so I was thinking Dr. Forrester they call him he got to be led up to the pulpit obviously the man takes him up and he steps and he gets to the step and he's profoundly blind and he, they have to take him up to several steps to the pulpit and then they, they place him at the pulpit and he's got his Braille notebook, and he opens his Braille notebook, and he starts to read. And he's looking at us the whole time. And you can, if you look real careful, which I did, I looked at his eyes. They were, like I said, they were, they were glossed over. But they had the, the shine of God upon them. And they're, he told, told stories. I don't know how he became blind, but he was blind at 10. Think about being a boy of 10 years of age. And then going profoundly blind for whatever reason. I don't know what happened. We were there on a 70th, two days after his 70th birthday for 60 years. Profoundly blind. If you go to Faith Baptist Church, you're going to see, I, my guess is, uh, I'm just rough guess, $15, $20 million worth of buildings. The Bible College, uh, Christian Day School, several hundred people. He built it all. He's the founding pastor of the church. He, when he meets his members, we, 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 saw him, we saw him perform a wedding for my nephew and his bride uh, 10, 15 years ago, and he performed the wedding. He designed the whole building. He's never seen the building. He told the story. I thought this was hysterical. I said, what do you do for a vacation? I'm thinking in my mind. And he says, well, many of you know I like going on hikes. And he goes, he's climbed some of the highest mountains in the world, 7,000, 10,000 foot peaks, not the big, tall ones. And he was telling the, the first, and his mountain climbing endeavors, how he, he didn't believe in using a, a walking stick because that was a crutch and he you know, was for handicapped people and he's not handicapped. And he can't see nothing. And I thought, okay, so you get to the top of this 10,000 foot peak, what do you see? The answer is nothing. But he gets described to him, of course. You know, he, he just loves hiking. And he talked about some of the men in the church that helped him hike. I got to thinking, he's never seen a mountain vista since the age of 10, at least. He's never seen the beautiful buildings that he built. He's never seen any of it. He's never seen his Savior, like Paul, Peter said, in whom he, having not seen, we believe. The first person he's going to see is Lord Jesus Christ. The, in October, we're going to go, uh, I'll finish with this illustration, wrap it up and give it to you, and we're done. Uh, Fanny Crosby. We're going to go to her graveside at Bridgeport on October 12th on a Saturday. I'd love to have you come with us. We'll have a tour, the, the Between the Dashes tour, it's called. We'll go see the, the cemetery plot of... Uh, P.T. Barnum, 
It's almost the size of this room right here, the, the, the obelisk. It's a mammoth piece of granite. And next to P.T. Barnum is Tom Thumb's. Tom Thumb was 18 inches tall. They got a life-size replica of Tom Thumb in granite. And he's from, if this is P.T. Barnum's graveside, Tom Thumb is about where our, our parsonage is in the back. And then if you walk from P.T. Barnum's to Tom Thumb's grave, if you go this way and go about closer than our pavilion, you'll come to a real small little gravestone, not much larger than this little speaker up here, just maybe a little bit larger, maybe about this big, about this high. And that's the graveside of Fanny Crosby. And just a little real simple, Fanny, I can't remember her middle name, Crosby, born, died, and just a small reference in granite there. She has done what she could. So we'll go see where Fanny Crosby is buried at. Then we'll get in the church bus and we'll drive to Brewster, New York. And we're going to go to her house. And I, the first time I was there, I, I've told the story several times. But um, it's a broken down shack. I think everybody in this, everybody in this uh, room, there's not anybody that has a, uh, you have, all have a nicer house than Fanny Crosby's house that she grew up in. There's a plaque on the side of the road in, outside of Brewster, New York, right off of Route 22, about this big bronze plaque. That's all that's there. This is the home of Fanny Crosby. When I went there, there was a guy smoking in the front yard. He was, it was a drizzly, rainy day. And uh, my first time ever there, and I, I thought, you know, I was expecting this tremendous house, and it was this, this dump of a house with this little bronze plaque. And... Uh, I got out and I was in my excitement. I said, hey, I went up to the man. He was just a renter. I said, hey, would you mind, could I, could I, could I, I'm here to see, Fanny Crosby grew up here, and, he's, and uh, could I see your backyard? And, and he let me. I walked around to the backyard, and there's this big rock in the backyard. Now, I shouldn't tell you this, because I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull it off, but I want to I pay this guy some money to let us go back and sit on that big rock in the backyard. I got to thinking about it. What would you do if you were blind at three years of age? That's Fanny Crosby. Blind for almost 85 years of her life, or until she died. Where, where would you go and sit in a little small podunk, little town village in a little, little quarter of an acre if they had that yard? If on a summer day, I think she sat on that rock probably many hundreds of hours. I'd like to think that maybe she sang a song and she wrote that song that she did write, by the way, when my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide. I want to see my Savior, first of all. The first person that she's going to see is Lord Jesus Christ. The doctor gave her the wrong medicine when she was a three-year-old girl. She went blind. She lived her whole life in blindness. But she's confident in this very thing that he should have begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're going through, what struggles you're going through in your life. I don't know how bad it might be in your life right now, how many struggles you have, but I want you to know if you're saved, God's working in you, and one day there's a hope so salvation or no so salvation that we're going to see Christ and we'll sing the song, it, it, it was worth it all, not it will be worth it all, but it was worth it all. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, thank you for the truth of Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, maybe there's a child of God here going through some particular difficult struggles right now, some trials. Maybe there's some 
blindness setting in, maybe some spiritual blindness setting in, hopelessness setting in. Oh, Lord, help us to put our faith and trust in thee. Help us to realize you're the author and our finisher of our faith. Pray your blessing these moments of invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, page 72, it is in the hymn book. Page 72.